and uh, turn to Genesis chapter 9, actually Genesis chapter 8, we're going to start there and kind of pick up where we left off the last time, um, but I have another opportunity to speak this month, and we're going to continue on through Genesis, and we're looking forward to what Lord has, us, has for us in this book. I enjoy teaching through the book. Um, it's a great opportunity there uh, to be able to spend some time in context of uh, the scripture, and, and it's a really good way to go through it. As we uh, finished up the last time, we're really talking about uh, humanity and ending all of humanity. Um, That was an encouraging subject the last time we spoke. Do you realize who the Lord had to take out? We're going to talk about uh, eating meat in the coming chapter. He took out all the vegetarians. Um, So uh, anyway, and so then they'll they'll be eating meat as we come up. So I tried to twist that any way I could, but figured I might be in pastor's office after after that one. But anyway, didn't say they didn't eat meat, but anyway, and anyway, I'm not going to go there. Um, Genesis chapter 8, let's look there first in verses 20 through 22 as we go back to where we had picked up uh, the last time. It says that Noah built an altar unto the Lord... And took of every clean beast, because that's what you do when you've been on, you only have a few animals left, you take them all, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar, um, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I've done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Very interesting passage here as we finish up. And I shared this with you the last time, the great faith that Noah has. We know that Noah was perfect in his generations. Noah was a tremendous uh, man of God. And he knew when he got off the ark to have that sacrifice and to, to give to the Lord, he had all faith in the Lord. Here's a man who's entrusted his family and his life inside of, the, uh, inside of the ark. And the fact that he got off the ark and sacrificed to the Lord, what a tremendous blessing that was to see his obedience. And you know, the Lord, he just asked for our obedience. He just looks for us to do, just, just do what's right. Do what you know. And, and I think about the fact that when they loaded that ark, you know, I can't help but think that here's the Lord wiping out the entire planet. And as we set the stage here, getting on that ark is infected people. Think about that. You know, at, at our house and teaching in schools, one of the things that would happen every once in a while, you would have that awful curse and scourge called lice. You ever had that get into the home? Um, I, I will never forget uh, working in a Christian school, and when it would, the first time it happened, I was so naive, and I had no idea what I was up against. And uh, we had started a school in, in Charlotte, and so it was kind of all on me when we were dealing with it. And I'll never forget seeing it for the first time, and, and I thought, well, well, we'll just kind of deal with it. We'll get through it. And uh, months later, it seemed like, it took forever before we got there. 
Um, and, and honestly, I started understanding when, when people would look and they'd find out they had lice and the next thing you'd know, they'd be looking at each other. They're ready to, you know, like point fingers, take them out. You know, it was just awful. Uh, parents crying, people upset. Because you know what you got to do when you get an epidemic like that? You got to burn everything. In fact, there was one time when I, I thought a parent was going to burn their house down. They just were done. You know, they were just done with it. And uh, we felt that way, too. Everything gets bagged. I trust no stuffed animals. Everything's going in the bag. It's going to... Uh, in fact, I don't even want to release any stuffed animals for about two years. And uh, awful, awful thing. Things get infected. And you go, boy, here's an opportunity to start clean. I can remember walking out to the vehicle. Uh, I put enough chemicals in there to kill an elephant. It's a wonder we could ride in the thing, right? Because you, you don't want that anywhere near you. And uh, you go to the school and you're having the checks. I'd have all the teachers in there checking and checking and checking. You know, you, you, infected people, in fact, you send them home. As soon as you see it, you go, yeah, you're going home. And the parent, the parent that didn't take it serious, oh, I rubbed some mayonnaise in their hair. No, go home and torch their head. <laughs> I want every piece of hair gone from that child. <laughs> My wife remembers those days, and it was tough. You know, sin... Is an infected people getting on that boat. You think there's an opportunity there to maybe even just start all over again. Why would the Lord? Because there was a family who followed God and did what was right. If you ever feel like that sometimes that, that you know, boy, it just don't seem like things are going the way we want it to. Things aren't as harmonious as we want them to be. You know, God loves you, and he just want, he, he's willing to do it even if it's just, if it's just a, a family. And he's willing to, to deal with the infection. He's willing to deal with what's there. Hey, sin is a problem. And God has a plan in dealing with that. And we're going to see that uh, today a little bit. I brought up an article I thought was good talking about families, and, you know, it's indirectly kind of referencing some of the things I'm sharing here. Um, the writer writes, God's mercy and messed up families. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to find an example of what we would call a healthy family in the Bible? It's a lot easier to find families with a lot of sin, a lot of pain, than to find families with a lot of harmony. For example, here's just a sampling from Genesis. The first recorded husband and wife calamitously disobeyed God. Genesis 3. The firstborn commits fratricide. I didn't. I kind of knew what that was, considering what happened. But fratricide, you know, killing of a, a sibling. Genesis four eight. Sarah's grief over infertility moves her to give her servant Hagar to Abraham as a concubine to bear a surrogate child. Genesis sixteen. When it happens, Sarah abuses Hagar in jealous anger. Abraham is passive in the whole affair. Lot. Reluctant to leave sexually perverse Sodom, his home has to be dragged out by angels, and then weeks later, his daughters seduce him into drunken incest, Genesis 19. Isaac and Rebekah play favorites with their twin boys, whose sibling robbery becomes one of the worst in history, Genesis 25. Esau has no discernment. He sells his birthright for soup, Genesis 25, grieves his parents by marrying Canaanite women, women Genesis 26, and nurses a 20-year murderous grudge against his conniving younger brother. Jacob, said conniver, manipulates and deceives his brother out of his birthright, Genesis 25, and blessing, Genesis 27. 
Uncle Laban deceives nephew Jacob by somehow smuggling Leah in as Jacob's bride instead of Rachel, Genesis 29. This results in Jacob marrying sisters, a horrible situation. Um, he references Leviticus 18.18. 18. This births another nasty sibling robbery where the sisters' competition for children, including giving their servants to Jacob as concubines, produced the 12 patriarchs of Israel, Genesis 30. Jacob's daughter, Dinah, is raped by the pagan Shechem, who then wants to marry her. Simeon and Levi decide to kill and massacre the entire town that Shechem's in, Genesis 34. Jacob's, old, Jacob's oldest son, Reuben, can't resist his incestuous desires and sleeps with one of his father's concubines, the mother of some of his brothers, Genesis, Genesis 35. Ten of Jacob's sons contemplate fratricide, but sell brother Joseph into slavery instead. Then they lied, it to it to their fa- they lied about it to their father for 22 years until Joseph exposes them, Genesis 37 and 45. Judah, as a widower, frequented prostitutes. Then this occurs frequently enough that his daughter-in-law, Tamar, whom he had dishonored, knew that if she disguised herself as one, he'd sleep with her. He did and got her pregnant, Genesis 38. That's just the beginning. Time would fail, fail me to talk of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Gideon's murderous son, Abimelech, Samson's unnatural immorality, Eli's worthless sons, Samuel's worthless sons, David's sordid family, and whose proverbial instruction went essentially unheeded by most of his heirs in First Kings, etc., etc. Let me tell you something. Things, there, this is a sin-cursed world. The Lord is not surprised by sin. He's not surprised when there are problems. The Lord looks for people who deal with their problems. By turning to him. And Noah, in his, you know, think about it, he has absolutely nothing. It, when he steps off the ark, there's nothing, this place has been destroyed. It's been wiped out. And such is the case when bad things happen. It seems like there's not a whole lot left at the end of it. But he did have some clean beasts, and he knew what he needed to do with them. And that's what starts and kicks off Genesis 9. It's about what is greater. What, is, what do we need to do now? What is the new thing? What is the new kingdom here that we're going to enter into? And really, if I can title this, it would be really the new opportunity that lay ahead. And, and I think about dealing with what's left over and, and where he's at. You know, the Lord in verse 21 it says that the Lord said it. Where? Where did he make that statement? In his heart. And so this has not been shared yet with Noah. But God, blessed by the, the intent of Noah, yet is left with a thought. And that thought is that the imagination of man's heart is what? It's evil. From his youth. Isn't it interesting? God is blessed and yet he reflects on the evil that man and the wicked that man is born into. You know, children are a blessing and heritage from the Lord, but they're born in sin. They are they are born in, in they are infected with that same thing that was passed down by Adam and Eve. And you know, it can cause for some dysfunctional life. 
and things that aren't so harmonious. And when people yield to those wicked desires, you have all the things that I listed out a while ago. It can easily happen. And by the way, it's going to happen in Noah's family. He's a good man, and I believe he loves the Lord. You know, I thank the Lord for his expectations, but he also equally expects that man responds in the right way and deals with those things, seeks forgiveness, moves forward with him. You had a people that weren't going to do that, and God wiped it all out. And that's how we end up at Genesis chapter 9. Genesis 9 gives us an opportunity now for God to have this exchange here with them and for them to move forward. So let's look in Genesis chapter 9. That's where we're at tonight. And uh, let's look at the, this new opportunity and, and, and the new land that's, that's presented to him. In verse 1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast uh, of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they uh, delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. And so as we come to this very beginning part of chapter 9, we see here, first of all, the great charter. This is the charter that's given, and the very first thing that he does there, he, he tells them that basically here, as you, as you look at this, all of this is yours, and God blesses them, and he tells them the earth, he, he gives them the grant here of the land, and they are to replenish the entire earth. The earth is theirs to have. And, of course, we see here the idea of replenish. Now, Think about that for a moment, that remember, we're dealing with an infected people, and yet God has commanded them to do what? Multiply, to replenish. You see, man doesn't thwart God's purposes. If man messes it up, that's on man. But God's intent is replenish the earth. You see, it's, it's not about because he's in control. He's in control. He's left man with a free will. He can decide. He's still sovereign. He still has that path forward. In fact, we're not so much focused on the past and its causes as we are the future and its direction and we're the vision of where God wants to take it. He's not looking behind going, boy, this really messed up when everybody multiplied and there were all these people here. No, the focus is upon Jesus and where we're headed. And, and so as he does this, he tells him to replenish and to multiply. And so in this great charter, we see the grant of land and we see the grant of multiplication of blessing and replenishment and seeing this earth filled with man. We also see here the grant of power over inferior creatures. If you see there, it says, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. That's ex that is being experienced right now. Our pastor, is he is putting 
fear into swine. Make sure this is recorded and given to him. A very manly thing to do. Those, I guarantee you, the, the, those swine aren't going, you know what, when he comes in these woods, we're going to take him. We are so going to take him. I, I bet you he can't run as fast as the other ones, so we'll take him out. Oh, no. He, he's going to, when they pull out those guns, I mean, the, the fact that I think even Daniel used a knife, didn't he? If I remember right, in the, in the last one or two hunts or whatever, and I mean, anybody that just takes them hand-to-hand like that, I, I got to give it to them. So I'm really stroking their egos tonight, and they're not even here. But you, you got to understand, there, this grant of power is necessary, and it fulfills the role in which man needed to have and what God is going to emphasize for this chapter. And you'll see that more here in just a little bit. But he, they essentially are given the title deed for the use and benefit of these animals. If anyone tells you to stop eating meat, you should immediately lock the car doors. This is exactly what God is talking. He's telling them here, and, and he says, you know, that this fear is here, and he says in verse 3 that it shall be what for you? And, and give me the first word of verse 3. Every. So you just go out there and get you some chopsticks and grab you a snake and just slither him. No, okay. All of it shall be meat for you. Now, law, the law is going to come, and that, a lot of that's going to change in, in some ways. Later, Peter will realize it, it will, that will go away. But as you think about it, everything here, this title has been given to them. Listen. That title is useless if you don't have dominion. If there is not fear incited into them, why? I mean, if you look at this, uh, the whole fear and dread of the animals is that they're, they, they know it's not good. To, you know, deer especially know it, right? Brother Welch, do deer know that one? Sometimes. The dumb ones get shot for sure, right? Um, but, you know, you think about it, you, I always pray for the dumb ones, you know, if, they, if I'm, if I'm going to go hunting. Uh, you know, let them hang out there for a little bit, too long. But there is great fear of man, and, and that's natural in them. And, um, and, and when you think about that, if you cannot dominate it, think about it. Think about a horse. Some of you have ridden horses. Who in here has ridden a horse? Okay, just about everybody. What thought went through your mind when you went to the horse to get on the horse? What was were, were you just overconfident and said, you know what? Did you grab that horse by the reins, pull his pull his snout down to your nose and go, let me tell you something. I dominate you. And the Lord says it, Genesis 9. If I, you kneel, I'll get on you. I got on a horse once. <laughs> My parents said, get on that horse and ride him. There's a horse they had named Baby. <laughs> we went down the hill, but for some reason, that horse was smart enough to know he wasn't going up the hill. 
And so I had the Lone Ranger going on. He was a paint, and he was a beautiful horse, but I had him all up in the air and, and uh, probably looked rather impressive, but scared to death, <laughs> praying I could get out of that thing. I got off of there. I never got back on it again. You know, there, but there's one thing about it. That horse has the power to do what? Kill me. So I, it's very important that there's some fear and dread. In fact, it's a wonder that horses don't do that anyway. Just turn around and kill it. You know, they've got the power to do it. But God has built into them now fear that wasn't there. Now there's there's fear for the reason that, hey, they they should be moving away from man. And 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 there's a reason for that. We're gonna talk about it in just a minute, but this dominion that's over them. So they get this, they have the, the great charter involves a grant of land. It's a great grant of power. And we also see here the grant of maintenance and substance. And of substance. And of course, you know, it says there that uh, but the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. Talking about, excuse me, verse 3, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. And so these things have been provided in abundance, and they're provided that all, all moving things were good. They're given more than they need in this license to have, and so they, they will be truly blessed in this. And that is the great charter. Along with that great charter comes the great command. And as we look at this in verse uh, 5, it says, And surely your blood of your lives will I require, the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And so, you know, as you come to this, we see here that they're given the great command. And in verse verse 4, actually, they're told to not eat the life thereof. What was the life thereof? Where was that found? That was found in the blood. What would that blood be done with? What would be used for symbolically? Be used in sacrifice, right? It, it was to be a picture of atonement, and it was either to be spilt on the ground or to be placed on the sacrifice. There was not to be a, a, a consumption of this blood. And so, you know, as we look at this, um, we understand, you know, in fact, it, it, there's, a, there's another part of Scripture that talks about people flying upon the spoil. In 1 Samuel 14:32, it says, And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground. The people did eat them with the blood. And so there have been instances in the Bible. In fact, in Proverbs, it talks about righteous eaters of flesh. And evidently, this is something that could, could, have, could occur. And so there is here an opportunity to address it and get it right. You know, Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that, that maketh an atonement for the soul. And so they were not to eat this blood. They were not to eat the life thereof. They were to be under restraint. And um, obviously it says, um, you know, that they are not to eat here, eat it while it is alive in that sense. And um, as strange as that may sound, that is something that 
the, the animal was to be dead. They were to, to have killed it, you know, in a living animal. And uh, the blood was not to be a common thing. And so then you also see here probably the part that stands out more is that whoso sheddeth uh, man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. They were not to take away a man's life. And um, the idea here is, you know, that man's life is made, man is made in the image of God. Um, this is a, uh, the institution really of government beginning to form and take place, originally with heads of families and later would be uh, as, as the nations are formed, it'll be held within the government. We know in Romans 13 that he, don't bear, he beareth the sword not in vain, so we know there's a, a governmental responsibility to handle that. And um, distinguish between murdering and killing, murdering and, you know, dealing with justice is really what's at stake here. And, of course, Cain, he would be dealt with by God, okay? Now God puts them responsible for that. And as we, as we think about this, even to the point that in verse 5, he says, And surely your blood of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require, and at the hand of man. The idea is there that even the beast... If, you know, Exodus 21, 28 says, if an ox gore a man or a woman that they die, then the ox shall surely be stoned and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. So the idea is that even if a beast were to do that, think about stoning an animal. Um, so that, that's how serious this is. It's the sanctity of life, and it's very important. And, you know, as we think about, you know, how God uh, saw this, you know, willful murderers put to death. And um, the idea there was that Noah was to protect and, and, and they were to protect as they, as they were to spread out. Uh, for what reason? Well, it goes back when I was talking about the Great Charter. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to replenish the earth. And, you know, th- their lawlessness that had existed prior to the flood, there was... No doubt, problems with this. What, what were some of the, the first bragging things you see in the Bible from Cain's line? That they had, he had killed a man. And so you know this is something that is a temptation um, that they would have seen, that they would have beheld. And uh, by the way, think about the baggage that they carried. Think about at the end of this chapter, it says that he lived three, Noah lived 350 years beyond that point of the flood. How long had he lived? 600 years what had those boys seen what did that family seen what patterns had been there when we talk about the influences of internet tv this was living out right in front of them and and, and i think about what they would have seen and so these things are being addressed and how important it is to preserve man in that way and give these moral obligations and these commands to protect the life um you know, we won't spend a long time talking about this, but just, you know, as you think about there, there's not a contradiction here between those who believe in, you know, pro-life, those who are against the murder of babies, and, you know, as you think about our world today, and, and there's not a contradiction between that and capital punishment, what we believe of as the government's responsibility, which is, which is really, this is, this, this is where this begins. And I think about the fact that, you know, I had a social ethics teacher 
teach this, and it really, the light came on when I thought about that, because I did struggle with that, but in Bible college, he said, think about it. If you deal with the justice and you take away the murderer, you are preserving life, because what happens? They get out, <laughs> and then what do they do? Or the ones, maybe if they, even if they don't get out, the ones watching that go, you know what? The price is not, it's not bad. I can do it. And they carry it out. In fact, we see that in our land today where it's not being dealt with. And we see the anarchy and we see the chaos. So we see here the great charter. We see the great command. Then we see the, the great uh, covenant. And, of course, he tells them there in verse 7, and, be ye, and you be ye fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you, uh, the fowl, the cattle, of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood. Neither shall there be any more uh, a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the lasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And so, you know, as we come to this point here, we see... The great covenant. And, um, you know, God's covenant with the new world, he's, uh, we see first of all that God's covenant here in this new world, he's going to go ahead and, and, and set forth for them um, that, you know, he, he has favor for man's duty. Uh, it's his favor for man's duty and obedience. And that's true today. Jesus said, if you love me, what? It's really simple, isn't it? It, it, Noah, here's my covenant. This is what I'm giving to you. That I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take. You know, I'm not going to flood the earth again. That's not. I'm not going to do that. But it was because of Noah's obedience that brought them to this point. This brings God's favor. And of course, you know, he's. This is universal. It's across the board. It's to everyone. Um, it's a covenant of His making. Think about it. God did not have to make this covenant. He did not have to make this covenant. He could have left this open-ended. They could have always be thinking about, wonder if that's going to happen again. But he chose not to do that, and it shows you just the tremendous loving mercy of God. And it's his desire, you know, what are his thoughts towards us? What does the Bible say? They're, they're, they, these are thoughts of good. These are thoughts of peace. These are thoughts of... And, and God does not want us thinking of him in a way that is constantly under judgment. But by the way, judgment is there. It's present. 
And, you know, of course, they, you know, these covenant, this covenant is established. It cannot be annulled. It's made with those that he is talking to here and their seed. And it's made with every creature there. Um, What is the intention of the covenant? Well, no more flood. um, But the promise does not hinder other wasting judgments, uh, destruction of particular places by water or the destruction of the world by fire. Those three things are are not included in that, but there will not be a worldwide flood. And then you see there the sign of the covenant. What is the sign of the covenant? It's, you know, we say rainbow, but that is not how they would have said it. It's the bow, just like he, there's a couple, you know, references there we see the bow. What is the bow a representation of? It's a representation, actually, from when you look back, it's a representation of the wrath of, of God. And um, particularly, you know, in ancient times, that, that's what they would speak of. And they'd look at the stars and, you know, there'd be a hunter or a bow up there. It was something, you know, even from the stars, they would say that's, that's picturesque of the wrath of God. And uh, one of the commentators pointed out the bow, where is it pointing? Away from the earth. If you were to draw that bow, where would it be pointing? And I thought that's that's a very good point. In judgment, God is showing, hey, this bow is pointed away. It's not going to happen again that way. Um, it, it, this flooding the entire planet and destroying it that way. And so he he is showing is a great sign of mercy. And um, so you would think the stage has been set. We have seen that God has blessed with this wonderful charter that only has man's best interest in mind, that it shows that, you know, God is protective of man, that he is set forth the, the, everything about it is that man may thrive, that man can replenish, that man can multiply and have all these things and everything, you know, all this, all this now is available to you and I'm turning it all over. I'm putting the fear and dread of these creatures in you, in them. And, uh, and then I'm giving you here my, my great uh, covenant that I don't have to give. And I'm giving you a sign. And then we come to the end of this in chapter 9. And we see here it says that, um, pick up in verse, uh, verse 19, these are the three sons of Noah. And of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be a husband. And he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So after all of that, what a wonderful thing, right? We see the great curse. And, you know, th- th- this, is, this is the thing, uh, th- this is even typified in our Christian life. You know... <laughs> The Lord has an expectation that man is evil from his youth and knows 
what to expect of man. I do not want to indict Noah. I'll leave you to your own opinion. The commentators all said sin and shame. I know there was shame, and certainly there was, um, you know, even a sin of ignorance, maybe, of, of anything. you got to remember, this planet had changed tremendously. Preservation methods and other things that would have taken place, he made a huge mistake, you know. Uh, drunkenness is not something to play with. I mean, we know that, you know, that it's dangerous. I mean, Habakkuk 2.15 points out this very situation. Woe unto them that give his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, making him makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Um, you know, if you look at this, Noah, you don't have a record of him doing this before or after. Um, he became a husbandman. Noah's desire, his, his employment now, his husbandman, maybe something he returned to. Yeah, remember, God has used him in a different way. And now he's probably looking forward to the blessings of being a husbandman and taking care of these, you know, he's, he's producing these grapes and making this wine. And, of course, he's brought to his shame as a result of this drunkenness. And I, I have to believe the Bible when it says he was perfect in his generations. It does not mean he was perfect in his, you know, in the sense of his spiritual state. He was a sinner like anyone else. But like Paul said, he was perfect in conscience, I believe, toward God and man. And I believe that, you know, as we think about his, his desire and his intent and motive was to honor the Lord. It still doesn't take away the fact that he was drunk, okay? And, you know, of course, he goes to his tent. And, um, you know, as he's there, uh, in that way, of course, it's, he just robes. By the way, isn't it interesting, um, you think about Adam and Eve. What did they partake of? Fruit. <laughs> what happened to them? They knew they were what? Knew they were naked. Nakedness is associated uh, with, with, with sin. And, and I think about the, uh, you know, here Noah, of course, uh, in this case is, is, is different. He's drunk and he's lost all, you know, all of the discernment. He is destitute of thought and reason. And, um, you know, it's said that drunkenness reveals secrets and disgraces men. And certainly that has put him in this situation. Think about what a man of God put in a situation like that. You know, what, what if, what if our pastor got put in a situation like that? Maybe, maybe he took something and it had a bad effect on him. That'd be difficult, wouldn't it? Put him maybe, yeah, and by the way, I've seen people go through that when they take medications at a hospital, you know, and they say and do things that are, you know, you go, oh, wow, you know, what do you do? Here we see that, that Ham, it says that uh, Ham in verse 22 saw the nakedness of his father and that he immediately covered his father. And, 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 and kept it to himself. That's not what it says, does it? It says that Ham saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. Now, let me tell you something. That he had an opportunity to deal with that the right way. All the commentators said, and it's interesting, because many, all of them said 
they came up with every other thing. It could not have just been seeing him there in that condition. You know, it, it had to be that there was something else going on, and they involved Canaan in that and all this, and there's all these wild theories and stories. But there's something else besides nakedness going on here. There is a gleeful, uh, wicked rejoicing in his father's demise. There is there is not an unexpected event. It's more of like, this is something that I've come on to. It may have been unexpected, but it wasn't like, oh no, you know, I don't know what to do. He immediately sees and with with gladness goes out and tells tells his brothers, for what reason? That it might expose his father more. And that has to do with God's authority. That's God's man laying there. And however he got there, we, we need to pay attention. You know what? That, that's something that's done discreetly. We handle that. We deal with that, whatever it is. But his son instead goes and flaunts it. And, and no doubt this is wickedness within Ham. And we see here that the judgment that's put on Canaan, of course, you look and see in verse 25 uh, that he said, Cursed be Canaan from awaking in verse 24 and knew what his son, younger son had what? Done unto him. There was, a, I believe, a mockery of the situation. And I believe there was a disregard for authority. And as, as he did that, you think about his brothers, think about the tremendous amount of restraint. As they go back, they make sure that they walk backwards to cover him. Ham, you could have taken care of that. You could have taken care of your father. But instead, you look to diminish biblical authority in your life. I can promise you this. You can look around and you'll find that if you get close enough to biblical authority, it is infected with the same sin that you and I have, and it will make mistakes. And if you decide to expose that in a gleeful, wicked way, there's judgment for that. And it's dangerous. And we have to be very careful lest we fall into the same temptation, correct? I mean, we know it's very clear scripturally, that we have no business uh, making, making light of sin and enjoying the fall of, of others. And so as Noah here is, is dealing with this, in fact, we do not see anything else about this situation. So we can't pass judgment on what, what happens here from Noah's perspective and his relationship with the Lord. But we do know this, that he was a perfect man in his generations, this is a horrible thing to happen. How he got there, we don't have that story. We know that he drank that grape juice and he became intoxicated. But what we're left with in judgment is on diminishing biblical authority and what Ham did. And, of course, this passes on to, to Canaan, and we see the judgment of that, and we see that true. What, what, did, what did that become? The Canaanites. We know that they eventually are subjected to service, and, um, and, of course, he does pass blessing, uh, Noah did, immediately upon Shem and Japheth. 
and we know that Shem and Japheth here we see uh, said God shall enlarge Japheth in verse 27 he shall dwell where in the tents of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant and so and here by the way it's very matter of fact it, it, it you you can expand and try to draw other conclusions about Canaan and about his servanthood but we do know this that the children of Israel during that period in the land they subjugated those people and they were uh, they weren't always that way, but they did They did serve and, and were enslaved there uh, to the Israelites there. And, of course, Japheth did enlarge. He goes throughout, spreads out. You hear the term the isles, and that's where they end up going out to and spreading out all over the world uh, in that way. And so it brings us to the end of this where Noah says, lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. You know, as we come to the end of this, I'm just challenged with the fact that the Lord, in his plan and in his will and way, it don't, you know, he, the enjoyment of that sacrifice seemed short-lived, albeit it didn't all happen at one time. But we do know this, that man didn't take long to fall from it. And, um, in fact, we're not going to go through chapter 10, but flip over to chapter 10, and we'll see there, you know, the great regard for man's life and everything that's been said here. Ham's purposeful diminishment of biblical authority and how it happens, we believe, spiritually, that corrupted all the way down. And you can see it here in verse, go down to, uh, uh, to verse 6 in chapter 10. It says, And the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, Seba, and Havilah, and Sapta, and Ramah, and Saptaka, and the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a what? A mighty one in the earth, and he was a mighty what? Hunter before the Lord. Wherever it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And that hunter, and of course, then it talks about, and this was the beginning of his kingdom, was what? Babel. All in rebellion. What was that mighty hunting? What was he hunting? He's hunting man. He's hunting man. He's hunting, by the way, as you look at it, it does, it, he, he is no doubt a hunter of all things, but he is a hunter of man also. And the idea here is that he, you know, as, as, he, as he goes on, he's going to represent everything that God just talked about in chapter 9. That they he wanted he wanted he did not want for them. And complete anarchy will be amongst the Canaanites. And it'll be present when the children of Israel move in, and that's the reason why they had to be destroyed and wiped out. Um, their sin became full at some point. And uh, God God, even in his mercy and grace, um, gave them a space and a time. And so that brings us to the end of that. Well, next time we'll come back, we'll talk about the Tower of Babel and get into that um but let's go ahead and pray and we'll close this up let's pray only father we thank you so much for tonight we thank you for the opportunity lord as we've gotten to delve into your word we pray that you would bless it use it lord in our life we thank you that you're a good and gracious god Uh, we didn't spend near enough time tonight talking about the grace and mercy of god lord you you have given us so much we thank you that all of this was a part of the plan and still is, 
that you have an eternal purpose for Lighthouse Baptist Church, that you have an eternal purpose for every believer in this room, and that it's not about us. It's about your will and your way in our life. We thank you that as we look at the life of Noah, that he understood that. And Lord, tonight as we, uh, I, I don't know what people may be going through. There may be chaos. There may be the ravages of sin. But Lord, we know that you can give a new way, that you can provide the, the, the new opportunity by them turning and repenting and, and seeking uh, to have better, Lord, than what they've left themselves to. That better is found in you. And we thank you so much that we can obey and follow through, uh, Lord, and just and live the Christian life. For those that are not saved, Lord, I pray that tonight even that would be evaluated and, and uh, can start at any time. Uh, but it needs the Spirit's conviction, and we pray that in the life of each one here both for those that maybe need to get saved or those that just need to get right. And, Lord, we just thank you so much for the encouragement we find from your word, and we look forward to what you'll do. Bless our time now as we close out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.